3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Good morning, Shares. Good morning, Dean. Uh, it's going to be a uh, slightly uh, less jam-packed show today, but hopefully we are full of lots of content. Um, first, firstly, 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast in the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement, and we acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and the treaty was never signed. Um, so today, at, at around 7.30, we'll be talking to Paul MacDonald, and he's the CEO of Anglicare Victoria, talking to us about um, facing your fears um, for, really, for foster kids. Um, you know, I think most people who have kids um, can maybe empathise about kids who are not, you know, lucky enough to have their parents around them. So he'll be talking to us about the opportunity to help them raise funds to help their foster kids program. Uh, and then at around 7.45, we'll be listening to David Holmes talking to us about the ways that television segments can only raise a level of concerns about climate change. So they spoke to um, Communication Mixdown who are on 3CRs on Thursdays between 6 and 6.30pm. So it will be great to listen to David Holmes from Manish Uni. And then we're joined at 8 by... By Umesh from the Tamil Refugee Council. Um, And he'll talk about uh, some of the actions that have been happening, uh, especially over the past few days, um, where Tamil refugee was, um, or will be, is due to be deported today, uh, later today. Um, and a bit about some of the broader implications there. Yeah, it's um, it's not a good uh, situation that uh, Santhal Ruban um, find um, finds himself in, um, and obviously. Well, I don't know. He wasn't. Fa- he didn't find himself in that situation. It was more the government put him in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, when he, f- from w- from my understanding, when he first arrived to Australia. Uh, by boat. Eight years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Um, he didn't straight away say he was part of the, he was a former t- Tamil tiger because of, obviously he thought it would, you know, be negative against his claim. Uh, then he went to present evidence and that wasn't accepted. Yeah. The evidence yeah. that, um, th- that he gave that he was part of the, uh, t- Tamils, Tamil tigers. Uh, and so if he goes back, um, there have been you know, lots and lots and lots of reports by Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, etc., um, that you know Tamil Tigers continue to face uh, persecution, persecution, yeah. persecution or like th- you know threatened and that sort of stuff. So and, and the yeah. laws since that time, uh, especially when uh, Scott Morrison came in, the laws changed to a point where it didn't matter what you said, whichever mm. answer you get, gave, whether you said, "Oh, you know, I'm not a Tamil." or I am a Tamil mm. refugee, mm. Uh, you couldn't win. You know, mm. It was written so that the answer you gave really meant that either way you were being in detention mm. and ultimately they were going to try and deport you because mm. they're saying, well, you've arrived illegally, which you know, isn't yeah. really fair for some of the people who were seeking. And, um, and this whole idea of you know, illegally arriving is just fraught with 
problems like yeah, that yeah. whole idea. Like, how can someone be illegal for for fleeing persecution? That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know? And how can a person be illegal? That's that's, that's you know, yeah, <laughs> that's and, so and problematic. Then, and then you've got the situation um, with the guy uh, in Queensland. Oh, I just sort of saw that. On the uh, mainstream news, the one punch guy who yeah. is now, you know, New Zealand guy, yeah. yeah, the New Zealand guy who is just about to be deported, and his case will probably be will get more attention than the plight of the people who really need it, yeah, and he'll probably end up staying in the detention for for nearly the same amount of time unless he decides he wants to go back. But if he's going to fight it, what are the rules that are going to protect that are going to be, you know, um associated with his case. Mm. You know, hopefully they are the same. You can't just sort of say, well, he's come from a Western country, so we'll treat him different. Um, if you've got these laws, you have to carry them out equally to everybody mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be quite interesting. Um, yeah. I just want to just mention, like, this is really, you know, this that this is happening right now. So, you know, if we look at what's, what happened earlier this year with the rhetoric of African gangs and mm. and you know, uh, African refugees, etc., blah, 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 um, and the rhetoric in the past few years about Syrian refugees and um, particularly but about, you know, Middle Eastern refugees. Um, it's all part of, like, this broader ideological thing, um, ideological warfare, we could almost say, um, aimed at keeping sort of Australia white it's only certain it's only certain people if it was English people can just easily come here and you know not have to not have to face the same sort of um, you know issues stringent issues yeah Yeah, it was interesting I saw a post uh, that had a reference to Martin Pukula who spoke about his mother coming over not being able to speak English in the home and his father having been born here but not speaking English in the home um, one of them became, I think that his father became a lawyer and now he's the Attorney General and the Post ended up sort of saying, you know, you have all of these people that look at migrants and say, well, you don't speak English in the home, you're not um, assimilating, why don't you become more Aussie? But, you know, uh, you work yeah. up, it's those people who do come from homes where English is in the first language who are actually working um, and Figures at the moment in terms of education are showing that kids who don't speak English in the home are the ones that are doing better at school, more so than kids who do speak English in the home, which is yeah, quite well, because you're learning, you're you're literally learning and living with you know in two languages. Obviously, your your mind's going to be more expanded by just doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> um, well, we I'll do I'll do a couple of community announcements and um, maybe we might do. a few uh, alternative news the way we see it before we get to a uh, Paul McDonald. Ali MC and the Footscray Community Arts Centre present Rohingya Refugee Crisis in Colour, an exhibition that delves deep into the heart of the ongoing Rohingya refugee crisis. Featuring photography from both Ali MC and Rohingya refugees, a short documentary and stunning aerial drone footage. Head down to the opening at Footscray Community Arts Centre, 6pm on Thursday, February 8. The exhibition runs from February 9 until March 10. For more information, visit footscrayarts.com. A 3CR supporter.
listener sponsors who keep the radio station going. When you become a listener sponsor, you get a part of this radio station. You get a little part of it. It's yours. You get a little share of it. It's 3CR Subscriber Drive, and we're asking you to show your love for 3CR. Support your favourite show by calling us on 9419 8377 or online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. $35 unwaged, $70 waged or $150 solidarity. Subscribe to 3CR today. People lining up uh, out in the street, uh, out in Smith Street in Collingwood, lining up to take out their listener sponsorship. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brecky for Over the Wall. Uh, just quickly, our subscriber drive finished on... The 18th of Feb, um, I just played a, a um, subscriber drive, love CSA. I'd like to thank all of the people that subscribed, um, especially those that, you know, mentioned 3CR Thursday Breakfast, but it's not about us, shares. It's about <laughs> the collective group here. Um, so we really, really uh, appreciate you um, yeah, becoming a, a member and, and buying a piece of independent media and I guess really ultimately showing your support for your favourite um, uh, show, um, whether it's us or other shows like uh, Lost in Science, which is coming up next, and the rest of the other programs as well. So thanks, um, and you're more than welcome to always call 419-8377 to become a subscriber. Um, and you can go online. And become and part of the 3CR family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one person, just uh, while we, we, we were talking before about... Um, you know, and these issues keep going. But wake up this morning um, with the um, Home Affairs Minister, Peter Dutton, saying, I don't know what this guy does for fun. Um, school children should recite the citizenship pledge in schools as part of broad overhauls of civics education. Are you bloody kidding me? That is, <laughs> that is what are we living under? Like, that is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So he said he, he would like to work, he'd like to see his department working with state and church education departments. So children, quote, talk more about our story, about our history, and about well, why our colonization. Values. Yep. That's his, uh, so, that's his, what? that's his memorandum. Memorandum. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't even have any words for that. Yeah. It's just like so, and it comes back to what you were saying too about that whole maintaining white Australia. Yeah, yeah. that broad um, sort of narrative. Um, and he goes on to say that in his view, there is a place for the pledge in a broader rejuvenated civics effort um, with school-aged children. Um, and he says, regardless of their background, um, 
you know. <laughs> Regardless of your background, please try and become white. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, I think the words that sort of um, uh, got to me was talk more about our story, our history and our core values. Um, I, it's only more recent that the actual history has been acknowledged. I know when I went through high school, you know, Australia started in 1788. And mm. for most people, that's all they ever learnt. Um, and it's just getting to a point now where the narrative over the last maybe 10 to 15 years has changed where kids are learning about what happened. Well, when I was in high school, okay, so yeah, okay, that was uh, a while ago. So, but um, yeah. it was the same thing. It was the same thing, 1788. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mr. Dutton is doing, he's, he's like a little mini... Um, What's his name? Uh, Morrison, I think. Those two are cut from the same cloth. Oh. They just go hard line, straight line. They don't really care about the the perception that they have in public. You know, they just have their agenda and that's it. That's pretty divisive to come out and say something like that, I think. Um, you know, it's hard enough for, for, for people to get to a point where they do have the opportunity to become a citizen, like we're going to be oh. discovering, you know, in about uh, an hour's time let alone people um, teaching our kids to make a citizenship pledge when, you know, some of their parents don't even understand mm. what it's all about. Yeah. So these sort of um, things, so uh, these sort of uh, things that we start in children um, where you make them very patriotic and that sort of thing, um, like in in the case of the states where they have to, do they still have to do that? Do they still have to oh, the, pledge, the, pledge their allegiance or something? Yeah, or yeah. Yeah. I don't know how often they do it, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I would imagine you do. Like you know, there's so many flags flying over there. Mm. It, it it must start pretty early, but then it comes back to the issue of. Uh, the, the, the right to bear arms, the Fifth mm. Amendment, the right to not speak when you're in court, you know, it's just like, oh, well, I want to plead the Fifth, I don't have to say anything. So all of these laws, um, maybe if you do pledge allegiance, that's why you're protected, but it's it's just a, it, I, I, I think it's just a weird sort of thing to, um, to, 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 I don't even know what civics means. <laughs> well, no, it's part of their ideological warfare. It's part of their ideological campaign. Sorry, I shouldn't say warfare, but it's part yeah. of their ideological campaign. Um, you know, in the in the rise of like more awareness of of the sort of stuffed up issues that is you know that that we find that we find in so called Australia. Yeah, and, like, it, and it keeps going too. You know, like it's not it, it, obviously. There's organisations like the Refugee Action Collective and even... Um, and they're more vocal now. And I think yeah. with social media and with, um, you know, access to the internet and that sort of thing, people can just much more easily be uh, clued in with with issues and with context, whereas, you know, before maybe it was a, maybe it was a bit harder or whatever. Um, and so we're getting these sort of like, you know, it's part of a neoliberal um, worldwide campaign as well, um, these sort of... Uh, Harsher policies in in uh, countries like Australia, uh, the US, and that sort of thing. Um, but also, also um, <laughs> Australia took a dive in global in the global corruption index. Um, oh, did yeah, so recently, the yeah. age is reporting this morning <laughs> or today um, that uh, revelations of dodgy donations, travel warts, rorts, and the cosy relationship between politicians and industry lobbyists appear to have battered people's trust in the Australia's public sector. 
pushing the nations downward, downwards in a global corruption index. Yeah, which doesn't, so, which doesn't surprise me because something more recently has come out with, with AW claims, um, with a detective breaking silence on a fraud scandal that happened mm-hmm. in the AWU. Uh, um, also last week when we spoke to, um, uh, uh, Friends of the Earth about what's happening in Murray Darling. Yeah. yeah. There was, um, some, you know, reported, reported, I think Four Corners reported on. Some fraudulent yeah. behaviour there. A, a Queensland Labor minister has told union backers in secret emails that loose lips sink ships. So it's not only, um, Happening only in Queensland, New South Wales. We spoke to Mark Geisner um, regarding the NDIS as well. Not that that's corrupt, but the fact that they're losing their funding. Mm. Why? You know, mm. <laughs> when they're advocates for people with disability. And also, you know, things like, did you know that lobbyists, I mean lobbyists, what am I saying? Did you know that loggers um, and logging is exempt from the Federal Environment Act? So they don't have to comply by... The, the laws, and regulations, yeah, the yeah. federal laws, um, where like whereas even even mines that like <laughs> even, even even I can't believe I'm saying this, um, <laughs> even uh, mines have to go in and do um, you know surveys and reports to see what you know a lot of the time they're yeah. they're, Fabric, they're not fabricated, they're, but they're not they're pro substan- their yeah, agenda, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and then if if they're not and if they do find that there's um sort of um what do you call it uh you know endangered species and that sort of thing um or the or usually the sort of conditions that are uh, put in by the environment department um are things like oh you know make sure you do do this instead of this you know which obviously um Sometimes doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes, I'd say most of the time. <laughs> but they comply. They 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 comply by this yes, sort of environment act. And loggers don't even have to do that. They just can go in and just log whatever um, they want. Old growth forests like and that yeah. sort of stuff. It's, yeah, it's um. So the corruption index. And I didn't even realise yeah. that there was something that sort of kept a watch on that. Um, you know, to make sure that our politicians are accountable. Um, just quickly, uh, this morning I also too I heard that uh, uh, Baby has um, decided that he would oh. like to be given a break. We won't talk too much about that, but what did yeah, he, yeah, what did we, he we expect? Can't be, we um, can't be talking too much about that. <laughs> and, and, and so, how, how did you see the uh, the, hand, the handling of what happened in, in the US recently with the 17-year-old kid and? And, you know, what happened oh. in Florida, I just thought that was really appalling yeah. by the government. You know, I find it quite interesting on the reporting, because he was white as well, the reporting um, that he was, I think he was uh, had a really tough life and... Um, had some psychological was, problems. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like time and time again, everyone always, you know, points out that, you know, Okay, it's a white dude. It's going to be it's a different reporting. It's still the same reporting. I just can't believe it. Yeah. Like, it's actually like, oh. Well, well, it was interesting too because he, and, and we'll find out a little bit more about how helpful these things are. Like Paul McDonald obviously is going to be talking about foster care, but he was in foster care and well, as well. And it highlights the difficulty in... Um, you know, putting kids who have you know those types of those types of mental health issues in an, in a in a home where they can deal with it. You know, these kids are just mm. put in these places. I'm not making any excuses for what he did, but like the, the, the system also has to work 
to help some kids who might not be like him, but put them in homes where they can be taken care of as well. But you're right, like the reporting was all about this this kid was like this, not not really what happened. It was mm. just about his background, where he came from, and you know now. He was a troubled teen and he's gone out and done all this stuff. Absolutely Most kids are troubled teens, but they don't make decisions to go and buy guns and go and shoot people. And if they do and if they're black, they're gang members and they're not even talked about. Their history is not even talked about. If they're um, Arab, they're uh, terrorists. Terrorists, yeah. Uh, what else? What, 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 you know, if it's so, I'm sure, if it's like, I'm sure every single ethnicity has some sort of like, you know, thing. If it's, if it's white, they haven't come here the right way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It it was just quite interesting to see how it was, um, how even Donald Trump played it himself. You know, he didn't come out, he didn't say anything strong. Apparently now there's a push, he's got a push to try and make some law which might, um, annoy the NRA who, contributed something like $20 million to his campaign. So you sort of don't see anything really happening. I, I doubt anything's going to happen. I'll be very surprised if, if, if I am not going to say that Donald Trump will do anything positive. No. And if he does, there's something behind it. Well, there was somebody who went into the future who has come back and said that Donald Trump will win a second term. Um, more recently in the States. so Please don't <laughs> depress me. I'm really like, I'm really, everything we've talked about so far has been quite depressing. I don't want to, not want to hear that. <laughs> it, it was a hoax, apparently. <laughs> I got the red eyed unemployed workers, desperation blues. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty? without trying to create jobs. You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program, on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled, and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. MC and the Footscray Community Arts Centre present Rohingya Refugee Crisis in Colour, an exhibition that delves deep into the heart of the ongoing Rohingya refugee crisis. Featuring photography from both Ali MC and Rohingya refugees, a short documentary and stunning aerial drone footage. Head down to the opening at Footscray Community Arts Centre, 6pm on Thursday, February 8th. The exhibition runs from February 9 until March 10. For more information, visit footscrayarts.com. A 3CR for... Uh, Spinifex gum with uh, Locked Up.
um, featuring Briggs and Malia. It's a message, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. It's, yeah, uh, the incarceration rates for Indigenous people keeps going up. Uh, you know, there's still deaths in custody, which still amazes me. So it's a pretty um, poignant message there about, you know, looking at, looking at alternative ways to um, help Indigenous people and in reduce incarceration rates as well. It's a pretty powerful song. And, uh, yeah, and try and tackle the actual system. <laughs> like, that's what we need to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure um, I know there's other Indigenous artists who have written songs about this, but to be at a point where another new generation of singers and artists are still singing songs about the same sorts of things it's uh yeah it it says a lot about um what is happening and what isn't happening to help um reduce the i guess even the crime rates who did we speak to a couple of weeks ago so we spoke to um so we spoke to someone from istra um last week week. um about um the stop failing our kids campaign yeah yeah, and there's and there's oh, and Istra is the so, uh, Indigenous Social Justice Association. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's uh, introduce our next guest. Um, you know, most of most people. Um, I'm not even going to touch that, but it might come up in our in our topic. I'll introduce Paul McDonald first. There is um, a, a shift, and I guess there is a drive called uh, Altitude Shift. So Face Your Fears for Foster Kids, uh, and it's a fundraiser being organised by uh, Anglicare Victoria, um, Victoria's largest foster care provider, um, and this will be on uh, in April. Uh, and I guess foster kids face uh, fear each and every day, the fear of being in a new home, fear of being part, apart from family, and uh, fear for their future. But to find out a little bit more about Altitude Shift 2018, we are joined by um, the CEO of Victoria's, um, sorry, Anglicare Victoria, Paul McDonald. Good morning, Paul. Uh, Good morning. Apologies for that. I got a little bit uh, lost there. Um, Now, I mean, Anglicare itself as an organisation is quite large. I know that you also help uh, people in the aged care sector, but I myself had never heard of, um, yeah, the uh, uh, foster care side of uh, the organisation. Can you tell us a little bit about your foster care programs? Yeah, look, uh, just as a a, a small question, all we do is children, youth and family services. uh, That's uh, the whole organisation's devotion towards uh, um, either supporting children in home-based care or out-of-home care or helping families to stay together so that uh, uh, supporting them so that they're able to get through and, and really not come exposed to having their children removed. And what we decided to do in relation to um, altitude shift, as it's called, is um, give an opportunity for uh, people out there, your listeners, to abseil off a 33-storey building, uh, the St James Building in Burke Street there, um, and, uh, you know, it's a fundraiser, so, of course, we want to raise funds, but also give people a bit of an experience, and a, an experience that says, well, take yourself out of the comfort zone and uh, place yourself on in a place that you don't normally or very uh, rarely uh, would be in the opportunity of, of abseiling off a building. And what's that relationship to foster care? Well, now, we're 
children are facing new circumstances, need to confront new new challenges as unfortunately and outside their control, they're removed from their family for a range of reasons, whether they, there's abuse or neglect or, or um, a range of issues going on that family that they're unable to remain there. And so they've got to find their own courage and depth of uh, character, I suppose, to uh, adapt to those situations. And so we thought we'd just, you know, lightly marry that to a fundraiser. And um, uh, so we've abseiling and it's a great experience. And if uh, people are interested, what they're required to do is just uh, um, uh, fundraise uh, up to a $1,000. And um, and we've found that a lot of people really get on board with this. And in fact, people go past the 1000 to, you know, uh, surpass that uh, well and truly and then you get that uh, thrill of abseiling off a building and tell all your friends and family what you did and that sounds like a fantastic uh, initiative but it's also you know tackling the the, the wider uh, problem of, of more and more increasing amounts of kids going into care in Australia and I guess the need for, for foster carers themselves can you get just a is there a difference between sort of what you might call home-based care or respite care and foster care, the three different sides, or do they all fall Yeah, look, yeah, no, good question, because uh, some of the uh, descriptors get bandied around a bit, out-of-home care, home-based care, respite care. What, what, is, uh, what is all of this? Well, simply, there's three types of what you'd call out-of-home care, which is a, an expression that I think... Uh, I'd like to flip into in-home care anyway, yeah. um, rather than out of the home. We're creating homes for these children, even though they mightn't be in their family. So there's foster care, which is uh, volunteer people from the community who are prepared to take uh, children, young people, toddlers into their home and look after them while the state either decides what, what is their future or um, uh, or decides yeah whether they're going to return home or, or remain in the um area. Then there's kinship care in which it's an extended family or family member that may step in and take the child. And then there's residential care, which is group care where children are unable to find uh, a place within the home-based care area, which is either kinship or foster, that they're looked after by uh, paid staff in a residential facility, usually around sharing that with three other children and about eight to ten staff. Um, so the terms, as you said, home-based care and out-of-home care are a little bit interchangeable, but home-based care would relate to foster and kinship. Now, respite, finally. Respite is where you just place a child who may be in a caring arrangement or even in their family home and provide some short-term uh, stay, like a weekend, once a month, and we have carers that offer some of our families, uh, well, the child can come and stay with us uh, for that weekend just to respite or give mum, dad or the foster care is a little bit of a break. And I guess ultimately, you know, that whole idea, and I'll, I'll sort of focus on a little bit on kinship care as a concept, it's all about trying to keep them within their families, isn't it? Uh, well, that, very much so. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, the, with a lack of funding and sometimes more alarming stories of abuse and neglect, and I don't really want to talk about what happened in Northern Territory, but it was quite sad. How, how, what are the challenges in keeping these children safe? For yeah, your well, look, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good question, and certainly kinship care is um, uh, certainly probably now the the um, 
the preferred care environment of choice, if I could put it like that, that is if a child is needing to be removed, then um, uh, the state or authorities will uh, explore quite um, uh, vigorously whether there's any kinship arrangements that could be kicked in for this child. Because it's better if they're, they're going to be in family, you know, uh, or if they're going to be removed from family, let's see if they can uh, be cared for by the extended family. But um, with the um, uh, growth of children coming into care rising at around 5% per mm. year, really, and it's been doing that now for the last uh, 10 years, around the country, not only in Victoria, but around the country, you are looking for good committed carers. And it's not for everyone, and nor does, uh, like for ourselves, um, people do you know, put their hand up, I'd like to do that, but um, there's about a six- to nine-month uh, training and onboarding um, period where you know they'll be attending uh, training, um, uh, being assessed in the home uh, several times. They'll be talked through about why you want to care them. There'll be you know all the checks and uh, put in. So there's a lot of front end preparation goes before anyone can become a foster carer, and rightly so because on behalf of their the biological parents of these children, we're we're caring for them, and we want to offer the care that's you know, um, uh, rightly those children, but on behalf of mum and dad as well, that we want to do that uh, for them as well. So there's quite a lot these days that go into uh, training and um, ensuring that these are safe, loving homes and we've got beautiful carers, they're, they're single people, old people, couples, uh, um, all sorts of people who have put up their hand and gone through this experience and found it very rewarding. So you're listening to 3CR Breakfast. We're talking with Paul McDonald from Anglicare Victoria. Uh, Paul, I have a question. So you're, you were talking about the sort of the raising, uh, the rising, um, ad, uh, children that are being removed from homes. I suppose, um, can we flip the coin? Like why are, why are children, why are the rates rising? And, 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 and what, what, what sort of, what are your thoughts behind, um, behind this rise, I suppose? And, um, and what, what sort of programs, uh, or things that people are doing to, to sort of, um, look at making the home or, you know, why, wherever, for whatever reason they were taken away, um, to be put back, like, to, to have well, the children a- go back home? That's a, that's a really good question because really why they coming in is because the, uh, a range of reasons, but the family are struggling in their, in their function or their routine in the family. Now, uh, it might be driven by, um, or, or for a range of reasons. Mental illness can be, uh, um, when uh, one of the parents or the parent or the only parent is suffering a mental illness and still attempting to care for the child. Family violence is another strong one where there's violence in the home. It might be, between the two biological parents, mum and dad, or maybe between a new partner coming into the house and the uh, one of the parents, whether it's you know the uh, the boyfriend of of mum coming in and entering the home and then starting to disrupt that and create uh, chaos. Uh, then there's also drug and alcohol issues that uh, drive it, or just really parental, sorry, parenting inexperience to the point where they don't feel they have the capability and the wherewithal to look after the children. So that's driving it. And as people, um, and we're seeing these rising numbers coming in, but I think your second part of your question is the key. And that is, if we, and we do know this from a range of programs, if we invest in the family home and really bring a lot of service and support back to the parents 
in the family home at that point of where there's questions about whether removal or not should take place. We find that if you can get in that family home, we've got several programs that we would spend maybe 10, 12, 14 hours a week in the family home for around four to six weeks, just at the point when the, the authorities are questioning whether we remove. We find that in most instances, and I'm talking about 75, 80% of the time, you're able to keep the children safely in the home. Parents feel back empowered about getting their acts together. And so I think really in trying to tackle the rising numbers of children coming out of home care, it's not creating more beds, but it's actually probably us as a, as a system, as a service um, in the community and government in support of that, invest more of um, the, uh, the, the dollars that go into children, youth and family into prevention the remo- or preventing the removal in the first place. Uh, very good programs around that can actually prevent, in a majority of circumstances, those removals. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, you look at um, even organisations like Sisters Inside who represent many women who are in and out of prison and with kids in foster care, they, they sort of say, you know, what they're seeing is that we're always too ready to separate mothers from their kids. It's a slightly different case, but in a, in a more open um, environment, the, the, the push is to obviously try and f- provide a, a safe, secure, nurturing place to stay with their own family, essentially. Well, that's, well, that's right. Look, at the end of the day, uh, children want to grow up in, in, in loving homes and particularly with their families and amongst their families. And, look, not every parent knows how to do it. And every, and <laughs> even even though parents they, without mental, mental issues or issues going on in their lives. It's well, a tough well, job. That's right. And, and we've got some programs in which we're able to... Uh, there's, uh, there's a couple of programs we're trolling at the moment in which we're doing modules of parenting in the home and it's really very hands-on and really t- stepping them through inside the family home, coming back the next day rather than, oh, look, I'll see you in a fortnight, mm. uh, good luck with that, but coming back the next day and then the next day, how did that go? How did that technique go? Um, and I think this is where you've got to invest the effort. It can't be just this, oh, you know, uh, uh, sometimes the state requires parents to do certain things to prove that they can take their children back but it's those things aren't as relevant to you know such as um, make sure you turn up for access visits or do some urine specs or something like that but the real the real currency to get that child with parent is is about getting them reparenting the right way getting them prioritizing that the child matters mm. even with violent father uh, violent men in the home um, hurting their partners. One way to get to those violent men is not only about saying that that's it's completely inappropriate behaviour towards your partner, but you're a dad as well. And, you know, what's, what's a dad doing being violent and aggressive in the family home when they're raising their children? And we find that that also is a, is a portal for dad to start thinking about his, uh, his relationship with his partner and whether, you know, the way he's behaving is reasonable. Uh, so I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, we have a lot of optimism that we can keep these situations together, but it's the investment to ensure to do that is the key. Now, I know you're, you're dedicated, obviously, to offering a supportive environment for both children and, and carers of lo- alike, uh, and people from all walks of life can become carers. Um, obviously, you've got this, this fundraising effort. At the moment, you're sort of sitting at around 8,000, and your goal is 100,000. But the other side of that is that foster caring is crucial to what you do, uh, and I think you, you're encouraging people who are considering um, becoming foster carers to attend some of your 
free information sessions in their local areas? Yeah, look, yeah, look always uh, we've got information sessions going around all, all the time. Have a look at our website at Anglicare Victoria. Just uh, You need to write in Anglicare Vic or Anglicare Victoria and you'll find where there's a foster care tr- um, introduction uh, night um, uh, going and look uh, because we do need that and really the altitude shift what's interesting about the altitude shift is even though these carers um, you know open their homes but we want to do the extra one percent of things you know get them th- get the kid through education help mm. in their foster care to ensure that all kids even if they're removed from the children are in beautiful homes in their foster care uh, houses that they're also getting support in their education able to go on school camps able to go and you know um, take on the great opportunities life offers and so the, the fundraiser and that's right we're aiming to raise a hundred thousand all that will um, all those funds will go towards supporting children you know journey in life as they're uh, as they live in home-based care so we'll put educational teachers to help them sit beside them to help them through their homework. Or we'll, We know that we've got little tackers that are showing great talent in piano. So we purchased a keyboard the other day for this fantastic little tacker um, and piano. We've got a, another kid who's one of the fastest in the state in, um, under 12 in sprinting. So you know, let's get some spikes for him. So those sort of things are the things that really sort of turn kids into, um, you know, the believing in themselves yeah. and fulfilling their potential. And um, and I guess ultimately, you know, people talk about, oh, we live in a time-poor society. And I know there's people out there who would have thought about being um, foster carers. And if it's not the right time for you, this is a, a great opportunity to challenge yourself, to get out of your comfort zone a little bit with something like Altitude Shift and, you know, getting together a group of people to donate some money and maybe choosing yourself or somebody else to, uh, yeah, upsell down the St. Saint, the Saint James building in, um, in, in April with an effort to raise some much-needed funds. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's right. And look, we're not asking people to, you know, open up their homes to take the children, but if they're able to contribute to help the people who are doing that through uh, saying, yep, look, I'll sell off a 30-story bed. Now, if I can do it, now, if I can do it, and I've never had sale before <laughs> in all my life. But we got on, the, I got myself on the edge and down and went, and it was a, it was a thrill, you know. But it's, it's also, you've got to, you know, it's a bit of a sort of, some people actually, uh, the guy before me went down um, face first. I couldn't have done that. But um, yeah. it's, it's uh, yeah. for some, it's a reasonably confident thing they can do. And for others, you know, it really... It really it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge. And um, it's uh, to what I hope the community would see as a, an important, uh, important reason for doing it. Paul, thank you very much for joining us on uh, 3CR Thursday Breakfast and uh, keep up the good work um, with uh, Anglicare uh, Victoria. Thank you, 3CR. Thanks for supporting it. Thank you. And that was uh, Paul McDonald, Anglicare Victoria CEO. I did, uh, I don't know why I said that, um, you know, maybe my uh, childhood. For some reason I thought they were Anglicare who provided support to the elderly as well, but maybe I got them confused with Baptcare who do the aged care, but they are, Anglican Victoria provides support to 80,000 children, young people and families every year. I know Paul mm. did answer that at the beginning, but I just wanted, yeah, to go back to that. Um, go to a few community announcements and we'll listen to a great uh, environmental piece um, with Definitely communication home. mixed down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name is Paul. I, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. 
really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Okay, we are back on 855 AM 3CR. And as you do, you do get a little bit, uh, you know, lost on this fantastic Thursday breakfast show. Um, 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Uh, freestyling there. Uh, 3CR's communication mixdown hosts spoke with David Holmes, um, who's a specialist in environmental communication and the director of the Climate Change Communication Research Hub at Monash University, specifically about the ways that television weather segments can only raise a level of concern about climate change, um, which some scientists say is not happening, but also develop public understanding of it. Uh, here we go with David Holmes. We're speaking to David Holmes. He's a senior lecturer in communications and media studies at Monash University. Now, David, I'd like to switch now a little bit and talk about the IPA, which is a think tank that, to me, is rather shadowy, but a lot of people are saying it has great influence. And Naomi Klein, in her book, This Changes Everything, she said she went and sat through a whole conference at the Heartland Foundation, Uh, which is a right-wing think tank in America. And I appreciated her saying that and going there, you know, going and sitting there and trying to listen to what their worldview is. And I Mm -hmm. think we should all know how our opponents think and how conservatives think. We need everybody to work on climate change, and I'm sure it will happen. At the moment, a lot of them are really getting in the way. It's hard for me to get the CEO of Rio Tinto on the program or AGL. They're just shy. No, they won't come. But I think the IPA is getting into their minds, and you know a lot about that. And would you tell us how they are feeding Abbott's agenda on renewables? Sure. Well, you know, I think I think what you can um, point to straight away with the Institute for Public Affairs is that there, there is quite a power elite that that is represented by that organisation of both of like media interest. I mean, it was it was started 75 years ago by. Rupert Murdoch's father, and it also, you know, members include, you know, a great number of um, the, the members of the, the Liberal, the Federal Liberal Party, and also in the past it's had donors who you find out about from the corporate fossil fuel industry, who you find out about that when they leave, they say, well, we're, we're withdrawing our support, and that includes companies like Exxon is an example. But well, what uh, other names, like Australian names, would be... Um, really supporting that, like Gina Reinhardt or Clive Palmer, and all, do they, all of those people sign well, their it, home there. It's difficult to um, point to individuals that are members unless they've self-disclosed, other than point out that when the dinner a dinner was held 
uh, last year to celebrate the an anniversary of the IPA that where Tony Abbott came to speak. You know, G- Gina Reinhart and Rupert Murdoch and Tony Abbott were sitting at the same table, mm-hmm. and uh, which is quite a, a famous event for sort of, you know, a photo opportunity of seeing where such sort of convergences can exist. But certainly the policies of the IPA uh, are very uh, consistent with uh, what the government has actually been implementing uh, since it's been in office. And many people point to one of the pages on the IPA's website, which is um, called Be Like Goff. And uh, this, uh, this document argues that Tony Abbott should be as radical on the right-wing side of politics as Gough Whitlam was on the left. And it's sort of arguing that, well, Gough had his go at yeah. sort of changing Australia <laughs> from a left point of view. So it's, it's sort of in the interest of balance that we have mm-hmm. someone like Tony oh. Abbott to change Australia on the right, you know, mm. to balance things up. I mean, all those years they weren't enjoying the uh, Medicare, they weren't enjoying the free university and they weren't enjoying all the things that were achieved then? Well, I, I think the message is we, 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 we can't expect to, be in, to have those things as entitlements anymore <laughs> no. when, when we're in a dire sort of budget uh, yeah. or projected dire budget situation. Yeah. But, but you asked initially about uh, renewable energy. And, yes. And what this document contains is 75 recommendations of what the Abbott government should do and climate change figures in four of the first six of those recommendations. Mm. Number one, repeal the carbon tax and Mm. don't replace it. Uh, Number two, abolish the Department of Climate Change, which we knew was about the first thing that they did. So Mm. it's even in the order that the IPA is putting Mm. these things out, it it, it kind of closely corresponds to the order in which they're being implemented by the government. Three, abolish the the Clean Energy Fund. So basically... Tried twice. um, (laughs) Yeah, so with the Clean Energy Finance Mm. Corporation... And uh, four, to repeal the renewable energy target altogether. Of those measures, I think the biggest problem for the the Abbott government with clean energy is that all of the polls that you look at, they're rock solid, wall to wall. There are no anomalies in the, in the polls, whether we're talking about essential poll, the Lowy Institute poll, the Climate Institute polls, even the IPA's own polls, which mm. they do polls as well, say that... Australians are very strong supporters of uh, renewable energy, which is um, why, uh, you know, perhaps the the Abbott government has has, has tried to perhaps target particular aspects of it, like wind farms, but generally is hamstrung in terms of getting rid rid of that, rid of renewable energy, because it would be... uh, you know, a, a real electoral disadvantage not to appease people. But do you um, think do you think these um, uh, fossil fuel interests and uh, conservative think tank type interests have weakened Abbott's judgment in relation to this? Well, um, it's it, it's more to do with there being a general sort of media, political, industrial complex atmosphere in which. Yes, you could say there's a weakening, but I wouldn't suggest there is some conspiracy that, you know, that um, that particular corporations are, are are lobbying to kill renewable energy. But certainly, the beneficiaries of renewable energy being killed off are the fossil fuel 
corporations. There's absolutely no doubt. Okay. Well, look, um, your colleague Philip Chubb uh, wrote in his book Power Failure yes. that after the Julia Gillard and Christine Milne um, had the ETS and the you know, climate package, there was a, Philip Chubb says, there was a public campaign of intimidation by business, media and coalition, the like of which had not been seen since the 70s. And then you say that both Labor and Coalition are servile, not to voters, but to these multinational companies and to the media. How can we resist this media action if there's another election coming up? How will Labor, you know, Labor presumably is taking this bolder climate action to the electorate. How can the electorate, who's getting these, you know, persistent messages and very funny, those cartoons and things are funny, they grab people's attention, they stay with you, they're sticky sort of images. Mm. Um, how can we resist that? Uh, well, I think um, it is very hard to, um, to overcome uh, the fact that when you have the most powerful media outlet in the country being News Limited capable of a national campaign, okay, because so what you have to remember is not just how much you know, how, how many news outlets they own. It's that, the, that a particular campaign, when it editorialises very strongly against um, Labor, for example, over climate change, can be so well coordinated. And, um, and I think, um, you know, for Labor to overcome the caricatures that are produced by, you know, what, what I, I see as a sort of... Um, you know, psychotic kind of tabloid behaviour almost mm. um, is really difficult. So, which is why perhaps it's decided to shift to renewables um, over um, uh, ETS. I mean, what what the tabloids can do with an ETS, and and notably the Environment Minister Greg Hunt is doing a lot of interviews this week. He was on Insiders on Sunday. He's been on ABC Radio this week, uh, really trying to change the semantics around to say basically an ETS is just another carbon tax, okay? Because mm. if you can feed uh, the tabloid press with the reinstatement of the slogan, the tax is back, no mm. more tax, act mm. the tax, and characterise it as a tax, then, you know, you've got that enormous might of news corporation behind you, which isn't prepared to go into any uh, deliberative discussion uh, or long-form discussion of actually what it is. And really, Greg Hunt should know better, as he was one of the key uh, architects of an ETS scheme in the last years of the Howard government. Mm. He, he knows what an ETS scheme is. He, does, he knows that it's not a carbon tax, mm. but all his comments are playing to the tabloid media, and, and that's who he's really wanting to impress mm. or, 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 you know, feed in terms of the, them then picking up and doing all the heavy lifting, really. So all Greg Hunt has to do is get from ETS to carbon tax and and News Limited will take you know, will will do the rest. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's not that's not very consoling. Well you told us in your article that media headlines like Kick This Mob Out actually broke the government and I think we sort of witnessed that. But behind the scenes you talk about Gina Reinhardt's great mine, uh, uh, a huge mine 
was suddenly approved after the Abbott government came in. And now that the Clean Energy Finance Corporation is again, you know, under threat, mm. it has a connection with a competing wind farm at Windlab. Can you yeah. just spell out that story? Because those are kind of behind-the-scenes stories that don't really get into our media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is happening with the Galilee Basin area is that in order for both the Adani mine, the Adani coal mine, which is another huge mine, um, yeah. has been granted a licence for along with the GVK Alpha mine that's part owned by Gina Reinhardt to become viable as profitable coal mines, they, you know, they really need to be able to s sell coal at a market price that's that's going to um, uh, going to make it worthwhile to continue with all the setup and development and investment that they're doing. Tony Abbott has has lent his personal support to the development of a nearby coal-fired power station, which, if it's supplied by the Galilee Basin, could make all the difference between those coal mines being profitable and otherwise. Did you just I say that again? That's a new coal-fired power station. A new coal-fired power station. Yeah. That, you think um, that would be completely against every global decision-making? You think it would be censored for that, don't you think? Well, you, you'd think so, and it's sort of flown under the radar a bit. It comes up in an article uh, in a Townsville newspaper which shows... Oh, yeah. Tony Abbott sort of doing a run in Townsville and, and with a, a story about how he's supporting this mine. It'll, be, it'll create so many jobs. Uh, sorry, the yeah. mine as well, well as the, the coal-fired yeah. power station. It'll create so many jobs. But um, So these mines really need this coal-fired power station to kind of make the difference on their profit margin. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, a Victorian company has put in a bid uh, to build and build the largest uh, renewable farm in Australia, which is both wind turbines and solar farms in, in the one area, mm. that is promising to beat the price of electricity coming out of the proposed coal-fired power station by $30 per megawatt hour. Well, okay. They're getting finance from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, aren't they? That finance is now now in jeopardy because of the uncertainty created about uh, by you know really the treasury ordering the clean energy finance Co corporation to cease subsidizing wind farms yeah okay so, so there's a vested interest in that that's well is it well it's the timing is is remarkably coincidental i mean <laughs> The, you know, the, the coincidence that the, the CEFC was directed to cease subsidising wind farms, oh. which it, for which it actually returns a profit to Australian taxpayers, mm -hmm. um, it, it came at a time when it was realised that the, the wind lab proposal posed a threat to the coal-fired power station that's needed to get... To, to to enable profitability yeah. for these two gigantic coal mines. Yeah. Okay, thank you, David. We're going to go to another break, listeners. We're listening to uh, David Holmes, who's giving us an insight into how the media manipulates our thoughts about the climate action we need to take and can't take because our minds are so manipulated like this. And after the break, we're going to talk about subsidies. <laughs> In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. 
years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Uh, welcome back to 3CR on 855 AM. You are listening to Communication Mixdown with David Holmes, and they are on on Thursdays between 6 and 6.30 PM, and they were talking about climate change. It's time now for our next guest. So now we're joined in the studio by uh, Umesh, who's a researcher working with the Tamil Refugee Council. Good morning, Umesh. Good morning. Um, so firstly, could you tell us a bit about the uh, Refugee Council and the, and the work you do as a researcher? Uh, so the Tamil Refugee Council is a grassroots volunteer organisation, mainly Tamil refugees in Australia, but sort of a network uh around Australia and a few countries, Asia-Pacific, um, basically trying to fight political rights of refugees, specifically working on the issues facing Tamil refugees as well. Um, and I'm uh, originally from New Zealand, and I, I'm do, I was doing a, a project on the situation, uh, government Sri Lanka, uh, specifically characterization of international crimes that happened in the period 2009, but actually from independence from Britain in, in the 50s up till today. Um, and so it's the importance of the question is um, basically what, what is going on in the country? Um, and there's sort of a narrative. There was a, there was a war, or a civil war, and that ended in 2009, and things are sort of back to normal. But there's sort of an alternative narrative. Many in the Tamil community saying, oh, what happened in 2009 wasn't war crimes, but it was it was a genocide, um, genocide, acts of genocide. And the difference between genocide and war crimes is that uh, the same acts are committed with the intent to destroy a group in whole or in part. So that kind of gives an entirely different character what, to what happened yeah. and would suggest what's happening now isn't necessarily a, um, a, a situation of reconciliation or something like that. Oh, or people mm. just moving forward. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that's some, somehow miraculously, like after like you know, 26 years of like you know, br- like brutal uh, fighting, mm. that mm. everything's just fine. You know, yeah. that's just never the case mm. ever. Um, so um, on Wednesday, the uh, Tamil Refugee Council uh, lost contact with Santharuban, who's due to be deported today. But I think there's a bit of speculation. You know, no one really knows. Um, so can you tell us a bit about what, what what's happening, what happened then, and what is happening? Um, so a lot of uh, refugee activists in, in Melbourne have been working around the clock and they've been um, got their eyes on the MITRE detention um, centre, Broadmeadows, trying to see if he's being moved um, and um, trying to prevent his deportation. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the department won't tell... Um, his lawyers where he is um, they only spoke to him uh, after, last afternoon was the last time they spoke to him um, so everyone's sort of in the dark 
we know the uh, de- deportation is supposedly scheduled for today. Mm. There's there's some there's like a very very slim chance, maybe some legal um, action could halt the deportation, but the activists are still actively trying to figure out where he is and seeing if it's possible to try and uh, prevent him being deported back to danger. So, so um, what, what is the danger for uh, Santa Raban? So, as a former LTT member, um, he will be... LTT, uh, which is the Tamil Tigers. Yeah, yeah. the Tamil Tigers, um, who was the organisation that basically ran a de facto state in the northern parts of the island for about 30 years until their military defeated in 2009. Um, so... If, because of his role, um, long-standing role in that, he will be, um, firstly, he's going to be arrested and detained, uh, arrested and interrogated um, for coming back as a failed asylum seeker. Mm. Um, and during that interrogation, they're going to ask him about his role and um, that, and then because of his, um, because he was a former member, he will be put in a rehabilitation program. So this rehabilitation program quote. Yeah, um, so what is this program? Yeah. Um, Probably close to being like Guantanamo Bay. Maybe. Well, yeah, so know, yeah, something like that. I mean, it, uh, immediately after 2009, it was it was much bigger and they had multiple camps around. Um, there were various reports of torture and, and um, I don't know, one report des- described it as a uh, program of mental and physical pacification. Um and so I think um, most of the camps have closed down, but the program will be of a similar nature. Then after, after so I don't know if he uh, survives through that, um, then he may be rearrested and charged for any crimes which he may have revealed, according, well, crimes yeah. according to the Australian government during that interrogation. Um, but the problem is we, you know, we don't know when he's being deported exactly, so... It will be difficult to find out what's actually going on at the other end if he gets deported. So we're trying to stop the deportation. Um, and he came here um, by boat in 2012. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, you were, came from New Zealand. How, how closely have you been following what's been happening, I guess, to him over the last six years in terms right. of, you know, I, I, I just see the Guardian article that talks about... Um, uh, he, he says he's never been able to properly present his claim for protection. Yeah. Uh, and then when he later sought to pr- present evidence for his involvement with LTT, it was ruled inadmissible yeah. because he had not declared it yeah, earlier. Yeah. But we know that Morrison obviously changed the laws yeah. right. in 2014. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's quite difficult uh, for the refugees to like navigate the system. And mm. so he said when he got here first, other uh, other. Tamils in his in the camp um, had had advised him not to reveal, yeah, because he was he f- feared that he might be deported. Yeah, so the Sri Lankan government and the Australian government have extremely close ties, and so there are Australian border force people w- on the ground in Colombo. Um, last week, the uh, Australian ambassador for uh, people smuggling was in Colombo meeting the Australian Navy last year. The first. Australian border force vessel made a, f- a visit to a foreign country, which was uh, Sri Lankan. Um, and um, Emily Howey, who's a researcher at the Human Rights Law Centre, wrote a report in 2014, and she she said um, if it wasn't for the 
Australian government's assistance and they put millions of dollars into into it, the Sri Lankan uh, police would not have a illegal migration, quote, surveillance capacity. Mm. So it was established by Australian government. Well, because Abbott back in 2013 or mm. I, th- I think he made, he had quite, there was a lot of media about um, his dealings, uh, especially with the Rajapaksa yep. government. So mm-hmm. continue. Yeah, I mean, so that's another thing is the government, the the Rajapaksa government is kind of described as a regime Mm. uh, and that the regime kind of fell. But actually, the current government is is not, you know, that different from the previous (laughs) one. So the current current president was a a high-ranking cabinet minister in the Rajapaksa government, and he always puts forward to the public that he was the acting defense minister in the final days in 2009 when the most most of the people got killed. Yeah. Um, and he appointed to cabinet the ch- chief of the army who became a uh, politician after 2009, Sarath yeah. Fonseca. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, just last weekend, um, the local government elections, they were first elections since the parliamentary elections in 2015, Mahinda Rajapaksa, who was previously part of a unity coalition, uh, broke or has broken away and formed a new party, and he won two-thirds of the local authorities across the country. So now so the he'll, co- he'll be back at some point. Yeah, yeah very soon, potentially. We're, yeah. we're talking to Umesh from, um, Umesh, sorry, from the Tamil Refugee Council. The, the one question that, that and I'm, I don't ever really understand this, and it still gets to me, the UN committee themselves lifted an interim measure preventing his deportation. What, with, with, if that was not lifted, would he still be in Australia? And what is the role of the UN committee, really? Because it seems like they're yeah. always yeah. not protecting the rights of refugees. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know a lot about this committee against torture, but um, suppose, you know, supposedly they grant these interim measures and, and the state parties are a, par- a party to the Convention Against Torture are supposed to listen to them, but they're, they're not compelled to. Yeah. And I've heard that the Australian government has sent people back before, even yeah. when this, these interim measures have been granted. But in this case, uh, surprisingly, three days before he was going to be deported, they told yeah. that um, they told the people representing South Reuben that they're going to lift the um, deportation order, leaving no chance to really uh, re- mm. react to try and reverse it. And, and it seems that they didn't consider, when they made that decision, they hadn't considered the information that was submitted to them about um, South Rubin's involvement and the testimonies um, that you heard yesterday in the media from various uh, refugees in Australia who were former members and knew South Rubin. Mm. And so I was just going to say, so uh, why was the? Do you know why the um, interim measure was put there in the first place? Um, so basically, once all your other legal avenues are exhausted in a country, that's that's one of one of the options you have um, is to go. So Santhu Ruben um, appealed to the Refugee Review Tribunal, then uh, Federal Circuit Court, Federal Court. And then after doing all of that, well, and then he also appealed to the minister. The minister has uh, powers section 417 and 48B. He's um, got other the sections. Yeah, yeah very He's got other things on his mind at the moment. Um, so all those things were done, and so this was one of the last options uh, that he tried. Um, 
Yeah, so more requests have been put in um, yesterday, waiting for the minister to hear back, but it seems like the activists have more faith that uh, well, he's, they he's, could stop the he's, he's busy trying to organise a citizenship pledge through all the primary schools the minister, uh, at the moment. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I can't even, I, I don't even want to like think about that <laughs> and what that means and what that represents. Um, uh, so there are also, it, it's not just South Arabon, Um there's two other... Um, people who have mm. voluntarily, who voluntarily yeah. decided to mm. be deported. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know their particular circumstances of the case, but at the moment there are, it seems like a lot of people from Sri Lanka, prim- presumably prim- primarily Tamils, being deported. Um, and the Australian government doesn't seem to be publishing statistics anymore um, mm. in detail, but the IAA, which is the Immigration Assessment Authority, um, has been publishing um, statistics. And over the last year and a half, 50% of the caseload has been um, from Sri Lanka. So, And that's like 1,440 cases, I think, have all been uh, – uh, have, have come forward and – Nine percent have been remitted, so so basically that thousand four hundred people have been rejected yeah. um, at the appeal stage. So there's like a lot of people um, who have basically got little hope of mm. um, their protection claims being uh, approved. Yeah, recognised, and so and so, so, so you just so mentioned just people were going back voluntarily. Um, some, it's been reported some people have gone back for a yeah. trial. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah well, I, I don't well, know how voluntary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. But, yeah. Um, yeah. They'd rather the, be back at home than yeah. be... Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. so you get you get given a removal notice okay. and, yeah. and you can either mm. sign it or not sign it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so it's it's just the words that they use yeah, you know, yeah. when they say, yeah. you know... Uh, I wish I could show you my, well, <laughs> my I, hand. I just... I have one thing. You just mentioned the IAA. Yeah. Um, which, um, for, from my understanding, was put in place to sort of circumnavigate yeah. the the court system mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The, the tribunal system. Yeah. Um, I suppose s- since since um, they start, so you mentioned that there's uh, 1,440 or about yeah. you know 1,400 yeah. um, cases um, that uh, were rejected. Was that last year? And and yeah. do you know since You're it's Okay, year yeah. and a half. So since its inception, do you know how many have been sent back? Um, yeah, so I, the stats on the, pri- the primary claims aren't published online. Okay. So, yeah. But, yeah, so I've been looking at all the stats, and um, when Santh Rubin applied for his protection, and this is before they created the fast-track process, mm-hmm. um, only 6.7% of claims from Sri Lanka were approved in that quarter, um, and then in the following quarter, zero claims were approved. Um, and that 6.7% was an unprecedented low number. Yeah. Um, and in previous years, 90% of the major three countries, Iran, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Afghanistan, the, pr- the claims were being approved. But suddenly they started shooting up in that period. And I don't know if you saw that story about ACO, Scott Morrison asking ACO to delay the assessments so in that period, that was a similar period. Um, it basically, that ACO um, request was just one of a number of measures that uh, that was of a number of measures that suggested to him that he could use to delay processing the claims because basically he didn't want 
to give permanent protection to these boat um, arrivals. arrivals. So the strategy was to delay the claims as much as possible such that the temporary visa scheme would come into place so then those people would have to, would only be eligible for the temporary protection. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, there was an act of intent to deny mm. people these visas. Santa Ruben applied during that period. Um, yeah. And um, now, I mean, obviously, this is where it's quite interesting. Last February, over a year ago, the Sri Lankan government, and it comes back to what you're saying about all the deportation, has consistently denied mistreatment mm. of returning Tamils is occurring. Yeah. But when the Prime Minister, Ranul Wickremesinghe, was here, mm-hmm. he said, quote, unquote, come back, all is forgiven. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> what's going to be forgiven if there was never yeah. an issue in the first and place? Also, what does that mean for, for, Tam, for Tamil, for former Tamil Tigers? Um, yeah. How does that feel, you know? Like, I mean, so it's still... Ali- it's he said st- he wouldn't prosecute them. Well, it's still, it's still illegal in that country to... Seek asylum by vote, so, yeah. so yeah. it's not all that not not all is forgiven. Um, and it comes back to what you're saying about the yeah. Australia-Sri Lanka relationship. Yeah, it's great to have him here in February. He's preaching and talking, mm-hmm. and it's really a message to the people here, not necessarily the people back home, isn't it? Like, oh, we're we're, we're forgiving, we're great to the Australian public to try and appease this movement of people working with right. organisations such as yours. Yeah, I mean, so the Sri Lankan government in con- concert with Consort with, uh, sorry, concert with uh, many Western states is uh, kind of trying to launder its image, you could say, or yeah, and perpetuate um, the, the new image. Yeah, so it's new government, good governance, and they were, they were promising to bring in a new constitution, which would devolu- dev, um, give devolution of power to the um, potentially the Tamil areas, which is like the underlying thing, and um, repeal the Prevention of Terrorism Act, which is described as the most like the uh, worst uh, piece of legislation uh, in, a, in a power in, in the world at the moment um, with regards to that. Um, but none of those things have happened um, and it's all just been talk. And even in the proposed drafts of this constitution or the working groups, there's not a single uh, proposal that suggests giving more power to the Tamil areas or uh, removing the power of the military um, um, giving land rights to the Tamil areas control um, in those drafts. So, uh, and now that Rajapaksa has um, got his electoral comeback, um, he's kind of set out that he's going to make sure this supposed reform measures that haven't mm. actually happened will not happen. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so you just mentioned that with the the, um, the PTA, yeah. right? Can you tell us about that? What is the PTA, and and yeah. why is it the Worst piece of, yeah. <laughs> I was worried that you were going to ask me that question. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I haven't read up enough about it to give you a precise answer. But um, uh, so there were proposals to to replace it, but some people are saying the replacement might be worse than the current act. Mm-hmm. But basically, I think it allows uh, arbitrary powers of arrest without any charge. Okay. So. And targeting, um, obviously, yeah. Um, minor so yeah. I think yeah. primarily the people who have been held under the PTA have been um, Tamils. There have also been other people, um, but uh, so the so the actually the Australian government in their submission to the UN said, "Ah, oh, you know they don't uh, returnees don't have to worry about the PTA anymore because the government has promised 
they've assured that they're no longer prosecuting people under the PTA. Mm. So there are still people held under the PTA, so they're arbitrarily uh, jailed, some for like numerous years, uh, haven't been released, but they've just promised they're not going... They've promised, they've assured they haven't arrested any new people under the PTA, but they're not removing the PTA. Mm. Um, and and to, just because I'm conscious of time, with little less than 16 hours left before the end of Thursday, yep. which is today, and obviously the deportation orders there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what are you, what's the Tamil um, Refugee Council uh, going to do today? I mean, what, what would you like people like uh, Shares and myself and our listeners to do today to support you guys? Um, I mean, so one call has been to uh, call Peter Dutton and uh, uh, Peter Dutton's office and um, ask him to intervene. Um, so so uh, Nick McKim... Uh, Put that on Twitter yesterday. Um, I think the the bigger, broader public support um, trying calling out to stop the deportation um, potentially could um, have some um, effect. Um, otherwise, uh, people get in touch with uh, any of the refugee groups active in Victoria. They're all uh, working on this at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I guess even calling on the UN really, uh, what could be achieved today is to reinstate the, the yep. interim measure to hold the yep. deportation. Yep. Um, on the basis of that, we could potentially get a... If, if the UN uh, did reinstate it, we could potentially get an injunction um, to stop the deportation. So, mm. yeah, all those things could um, help. And, and uh, people can follow uh, the Tamil Refugee Council on, fa- on Facebook. Yep. Uh, to have, do they have a Twitter? Or um, Facebook is the best. Aaron, Aaron yeah. Malvaganam, yeah. Um, okay. if you follow him on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, he's keeping people up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, I think Close the Camps, um, RAC, um, we'll, so all, we'll all have updates. Uh, updates. We'll probably yeah. be on to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, great. Um, so I... Um, that was uh, Umesh, who's a researcher working with the uh, Tamil Refugee Council, um, who was uh, explaining a bit about the situation um, back in, in Sri Lanka and the sort of broader political uh, context um, of uh, Sam Tharuban, who is due to be deported uh, today, but um, there's still uh, not much information about what's happened. Uh, the Tamil Refugee Council has lost contact with him uh, yesterday, uh, on Wednesday, um, so, yeah. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank we know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, grey, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. 
Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Five five AM. It's eight twenty-seven on eight five five. Yeah, it's been one of those shows today. You know, we didn't have seventeen interviews. We just make sure we kept it tight and had a nice little chat with our last guest. Well, it's, a, not, it's not a nice no. chat. It's an awful chat, actually. But it's always good to give our guests a little bit more time, yeah, to explain why and what is happening. Uh, and Umesh from the Tamil Refugee Council has just given us a, an insight into, I guess, the situation between Sri Lanka and Australia and what is really happening to LTTE Sri Lankans um, who, you know, are in facing a pretty mm. dire situation, especially with the deportation of Santa Raban. Um, but at 7.30, we spoke to Paul MacDonald, Anglicare Victoria CEO, about uh, the altitudeshift.org.au fundraising effort for foster children. Um, and then at 7.45... We had uh, Communication Mixdown, who spoke to David Holmes, the Communication Director at uh, Monash uh, University, talking to us about, you know, how television weather segments can uh, develop public understanding of what's happening with climate change. And then we still have, and just had, Umesh. from the uh, researcher working with the Tamil Refugee Council. But as usual, we thank you very much for listening to us on 3CR Thursday Breakfast and we will be back next week with another cracking show. Yeah, Hopefully we have some good news too. <laughs> and, stay, and, stay tune, uh, and stay tuned to all the Thursday, I mean all the, all the, Thursday break, all the breakfast programs <laughs> on 3CR. <laughs> Including the others, just not Thursday Breakfast, the best one. Um, but thanks once again. Uh, we do have Lost in Science coming up straight after this. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.